Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is September 26, 2012. It is a Wednesday, and you are now dealing with Bachelor Jack. I'm Bachelor Jack until Sunday. Dorothy has just uh, loaded up the Blue Dodge and headed to Texas. Uh, down there to see our son, our family should be gone for a week, so maybe I'll do some porch cooking videos or something for you guys. Uh, last time I made lamb kebabs, I've got some more ground lamb at home, and I, maybe I'll do those up on either the rocket stove or the Jamaican coal pot or something like that. But I'll have to do something while she's gone, otherwise I'm going to go freaking crazy, you know. Uh, but what are we going to do today? Uh, yesterday I did an interview, you're going to hear it in just a moment, with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy on becoming a survival medic. Uh, I'll tell you in advance that you'll hear things in this interview that you probably wouldn't hear as far as the, uh, I don't know the conversationality of it because Bones and Amy are very close personal friends of myself and Dorothy. So you'll hear a lot of, uh, little chit chat added in, but I think it all brings a, a, something special to an interview, uh, like this with, uh, with Bones and Amy. And they have one of the most outstanding websites on planet Earth for learning how to take care of medical needs and an incredible book and an incredible discount offer that you'll hear at the end uh, for everybody for a week. And then I've got you guys on the Member Support Brigade. This discount will apply permanently for the Member Support Brigade. So they're great people with a great subject. We'll have them on in just a moment. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. You can find them at sawtac.com, S-A-W-T-A-C.com. Sawtac is the place to get the coolest tactical gear, the tactical stuff, the toughest gear, the ruggedest gear you'll find on the planet. SOE Tactical Gear, some of the toughest stuff out there. Uh, knives, the accessories for your firearms, you name it. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated. And why are they called Sawtooth? Because they're located in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho. Check them out today. Again, sawtac.com. Next up today, ready-made resources. There's not much more you can ask a company to do than make their name what they do, and then they do it. That's what ready-made does. All the resources you need for your prepping, ready-made, ready-to-go. Point-click buy. Great pricing, great service from a longtime supporter of the Survival Podcast. ReadyMadeResources.com. Check them out today. Remember, the best way to find Sawtac ready-made and all of our sponsors, go to thesurvivalpodcast.com. Look for their banners in the right-hand margin, and I won't go through the whole thing, but just know this. It is tough to become a sponsor on the Survival Podcast. We do make changes at times because we feel that we can do better for you guys. This is not about people that just show up and say, I have money, so I want to be a sponsor. It doesn't work that way. Um, the people that there are special, they carry my personal endorsement, and they have been thoroughly researched and investigated by our listener ad council. Uh, the primary way we, we make money on this show is not through sponsorships. It's through our membership program where we provide you great discounts like the one I just talked about. So I see the advertising as a service to my listeners to bring you only the best companies, small family-run, single ownership, sole proprietorships, small partnerships, things like that, people who are going to take care of you day in, day out, over and over again. That's what it takes to be a sponsor here. All right, uh, so we'll just go 
right ahead and say then, you know, if you join the Member Support Brigade, you're helping to support this show and the work that we do. You get discounts to a ton of people, just like the one I told you about now with uh, Bones and Amy and, and, and Doom and Bloom uh, Survival Shop. Uh, I'll keep building it. I'll keep adding to it. I'll keep making it better. That's my commitment to you. Uh, you can find out more and join by going to the survivalpodcast.com. Click it on Members. Also, check out tspcopper.com. Real cool stuff there. I'll leave it at that today. want to remind you again, uh, we do have this weekend a, uh, a class being done by AOCS, uh, American Open Currency Standard, and uh, Tanya Sawyer of Colorado Aquaponics in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. There will be a link in today's show notes. Please consider going to that if you're anywhere near Dallas and want to know more about aquaponics. It's an incredible opportunity to learn from somebody that does this as a profession, really, really knows what she's doing. Both people have been guests on the show, and I'm sure you'll meet other TSP members there. All right, with that, hey, uh, Bones, Amy, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Great to have you guys here again, and it seems like we've been seeing a lot of each other lately. Yeah, we sure have. Uh, we've been at different expos together, and uh, we've had a lot of fun meeting all sorts of great people and a lot of your listeners, which is terrific. Yeah, I was hoping to be able to get out there to mess with you guys, but I don't think I'm going to be able to make that trip. Uh, oh, really? Because we were planning on going to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, so show- were we. Yeah. Oh. Uh, we've had yeah, so I many things going on lately that are like a Grand Canyon for our finances that we uh, we have decided that if we want to actually move to our new property, we have to cut back on some travel for a while. Well, but that uh, that's a means to an end. <laughs> Absolutely. But on to better stuff. We got you guys on uh, to talk more about... Uh, survival medicine and being a survival medic because you guys, of course, have your site, doomandbloom.net, and you talk about that type of stuff all the time on your podcast and your blog. Uh, so kind of kicking things off here, uh, what are some of the most important characteristics? And I'll let the two of you fight over who gets to speak when because I'm not getting in that melee. But uh, <laughs> what are some of the most important characteristics of you know a survival medic? What makes a person a survival medic versus a medic? Well, you know that uh, the best medics are born. They're not made. But uh, honestly, I don't believe that. I think that anyone, anyone who decides that they're going to take up, take up the flag and take responsibility for the medical well-being of their loved ones can be absolutely successful. It's a matter in a survival setting of being able to use uh, all the tools in the medical woodshed, for example, a successful survival medic is going to be willing to think outside the conventional medical box. In, in other words, your goal is no longer to stabilize that injured member of your family or that sick member of your family and ship them off to the uh, local hospital. That local hospital may not be around. And so you are going to have to figure out how you can be the end of the line. In other words, when you treat that injury right at the very very beginning that you think about how you're going to get that person to a full recovery. And for that, you might need to use alternative remedies, things like essential oils or herbal remedies, things like that. And you may have to you may have to improvise. If it could be something as simple as just uh, taking duct tape and making a butterfly dressing to close the wound, it could be a, could be other things that are more complex. Definitely have duct tape, <laughs> now that you've mentioned that, because there's a thousand reasons why people need duct tape, but it can be used to hold splints in place. Um, it's just an amazing thing. Sure. That and paracord, awesome, awesome. Oh, yeah. 
So uh, they're they're saying that, folks, because I said at, at my presentation, if you needed more than duct tape and, and a, a cotton cloth to fix an injury, you needed a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> and there was both humor and fact in that. Well, it's true, and and you should not have to rely on a big amount of supplies because eventually, if we do have something terrible happen, they're all going to run out anyway. So you're going to have to figure out how to use um, reusable items like washcloths or white sheets or, you know, all of these other things that we're used to just throwing away. You're going to have to learn how to make dressings out of these things. Um, it's not going to be an endless supply. No matter how much you've stocked up, you will eventually run out. So you have to figure out how to reuse and recycle um, many, many things. Now, Improvising. <laughs> right, right. Now, Someone who's going to be a successful survival medic is going to be someone that's going to be calm in a crisis, but who moves in response to an emergency. So there, the reason why that, I know that sounds weird, but there is a natural paralysis that occurs when you see someone injured. If you've ever seen a football injury on TV where, where somebody snapped, their legs snapped or, or their finger, even little things like finger dislocations. I mean, you sort of stop unless you've seen this and, and, and are paralyzed for a second on, unless you've seen this thing on a regular basis. So a good medic is going to be desensitized and calm in a crisis and is going to be able to function immediately to deal with the injury. Uh, somebody who's a, a successful medic also it has to be a little bit of a chaplain. You know, they, it's more, much more likely that you're going to deal with anxiety and depression much more than you're going to deal with gunshot and knife wounds, at least on a daily basis. So, so this is something that you've got to be a little bit of a counselor. I mean, it'd be awesome if you had, had a, a survival group that included, a, oh, I don't know, a pastor or somebody that could take some of that load off of you. But in reality, that's as much a part of your job as uh, splinting a, a fracture or or uh, suturing up a wound. And also a survival medic, a good survival medic, keeps their mouth shut. Everything that your people tell you is in confidence, is in absolute confidence, and you have to maintain that confidentiality. You know more about these people from a medical standpoint, than maybe some of their own family members do. And so it's important for you to maintain that confidentiality. If you don't maintain that confidentiality, you have lost the trust. Of and that's really important, right, because you, you need that level of, uh, of trust so that you can actually do your job. And, and this is the basic doctor-patient confidentiality thing, which is why you're switched on to it. But a lot of people having to step up and do this haven't ever filled that role before. And if your patient won't tell you everything, then you're missing key things to a diagnosis and therefore treatment, right? You are absolutely right. People will oftentimes leave embarrassing details out of their medical history if they think that that is somehow going to get to somebody else. And so that's why in order to have absolute trust from your patients that you have to have absolute confidentiality, you take to your grave, I'll be taking to my grave thousands of secrets of my patients over the years that 
uh, I've been told things that are pretty crazy. And you want to know something? No one else, not even the beautiful Miss no. Amy here, is ever going to know about it. So, and and one last thing I think that is really important for uh, a survival medic is you have to have an interest in educating others and passing along your skills to not only the next generation, but your own generation. Everyone that is an able-bodied person should have basic medical knowledge and should be able to handle basic injuries and deal with basic uh, basic illness. And Because you have to realize that one day you, the medic, may actually need a medic. And so you need other people that are going to be able to fulfill at least a portion of your role in keeping everyone healthy. And what I'd like to add to that is in that mode of education, it's not just about teaching the other adults. You need to provide health classes for the children that may not be able to go to some sort of structured school. You know, you're now going to be, quote, homeschooling. Hopefully you'll be within a community. But you need to be able to go in and teach these children about their bodies, about how to take care of themselves, changes that may be occurring in different stages of development. And you have to be the health teacher. And I think it's, it's bigger than that, too, isn't it? Because it's not just about them having the knowledge. It's about that if we're in a situation, uh, a grid-down, collapse-style situation, that a lot of practices that you can skate by with can create life-altering, life-threatening conditions in an environment where you don't have, you know, unlimited running water, unlimited thermostatic control of your house, uh, unlimited sanitation. That in those environments, that the concept of health teaching has to go to a higher level, doesn't it? You're absolutely right, and a lot of the education should go even to to very simple things, things like sanitation and hygiene, as you just mentioned. Good sanitation and hygiene are going to be more important in preventing illness than anything that I or Nurse Amy can do as medical personnel. So that's that's it. You know, you don't have to know how to how to deal with human waste. You have to know how to sterilize water, properly prepare food in situations in which you may be either out out in the wilderness or uh, just not have access to uh, these clean uh, these things as easily as you do today. And one last thing, one last thing about this is that you are the medical quartermaster. Now, you have a certain amount of supplies, but when do you dole them out? And you have probably, if you've been listening to uh, my show or, or times that I've been on, on your show, Jack, you know that I've been telling people that they should be having antibiotics in their medical supplies. When do you break out those few courses of antibiotics and use them. They're not going to be produced again in a major calamity. So this is one of the tough decisions, one of the many tough decisions that you may have to make a survival medic, and you have to be the type of person that can make those decisions. And I think there's so many things that come into that, right? Because we have to look at that and we have to say, well, what type of breakdown are we in? Are we in a 90-day breakdown? Are we in a 30-day breakdown? Are we isolated for a week uh, from a natural disaster? And, and in each one of those situations, we have very different decisions to make there. If if we're isolated during a hurricane and we know help is coming within a week, uh, if it looks infected, we can treat. If it's... Uh, 
if it's a situation where we're you know dealing with a, a large scale grid down could go months or longer, then we have to be much more judicious with those decisions. That's right. And if and if you're concerned about a long term survival situation, which is our focus, then you must vary your medical supplies so that you can handle a myriad of issues that you may not have thought about before. And we'll talk about that later. Well, on that note, I mean, you guys are, you know, the the big three that you hear people talk about to kind of generalize all survival preps are beans, bullets, and band-aids. And uh, you guys usually say bandages instead of band-aids, which I think is a better descriptive term. Uh, but why is it so important that we have this bandage component to the big three and, and not just focus on the beans and the bullets? Well, everybody thinks first of defense. So they go out and get uh, their handgun, they get their uh, their shotgun, their AK or AR. Uh, and if you're in the survival mindset, I mean, this is likely your first step. But it's not necessarily the best first step. I mean, certainly the sexiest. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, see, she says yes, and she certainly knows about sexy. Oh, sorry. So, go on. So sorry about <laughs> Well, food storage, of course, is basic to everyone that is in the homesteading mindset or prepare or basic preparedness mindset. So they go out and they go get cases and cases of stuff that uh, will make sure that they won't starve when others might. But nobody, nobody thinks of getting their medical supplies first or putting it on the back burner. And uh, some of that is a sh- it's a shame. You need the other two things, but I think it's a shame because I guarantee. That if the you know what hits the fan, that you are going to be dealing with medical issues on a daily basis, especially if you're the person that is taking responsibility for the well-being of your family or, or your survival group. I mean, you can grit it out for a while, possibly, and 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 not have medical supplies. But boy, eventually, someone you love is going to need medical help, and you will regret not having worked on on this. I mean, and some people actually just have this little medical bag uh, that they have that they can carry, like it seems like, in their back pocket. And, and I guess if you have one serious wound, I mean, you probably use everything that you've got in there, and it'll be gone before you're even done dealing with that. Or, or they go to Walmart and they buy a 413-piece medical first aid kit, and it's 280 of the pieces are finger-sized Band-Aids. Mm-hmm. Right, right, which if you had uh, 40 fingers on each hand, that would actually be pretty handy. But other- <laughs> <laughs> or, or I guess if you had like, 10 hands, I mean, right, right, right. I, you I don't, think, so. Well, I yeah. think if, if this, this was like octopus survival, then I think we that would be useful. But, but I, well, anyhow, maybe your medical supplies might last if it's just you, by the way, if being just you in a medical survival situation is another terrible mistake. But I guarantee you that you're going to have people at your door. You're not going to be able to turn away in times of trouble. Most people have family, and that family is going to converge on your house if they think that you have any clue on how to survive in the aftermath of a disaster. So you just can't have, you cannot have, did I say that you cannot have, cannot have. too cannot many have medical supplies eventually you will use just about every item in the kit probably sooner than later and they're not going to be replaced you're going to have fewer options to deal with sickness and injury and not only that but most likely those those tiny little kits you get or it says you know 413 items are not going to cover things like severe hemorrhaging you know i'm sure you're not going to have 
an emergency bandage. You're not going to have a tourniquet of any sort. You're not going to have any blood stoppers. Um, you're not going to have any significant amount of, of sterile or non-sterile gauze. Um, you probably aren't going to have anything to handle dental issues. And I know we probably have talked about this on, on your show before, but one of the most um, brought up issues when we were doing research in, in areas that had like a mini collapse was dental issues. Mm-hmm. And so you can't uh, it, it ignore. It really makes me think of Castaway, right? And I have, oh, yeah. I have two things to say about Castaway for those that have seen it and seen the guy knock his tooth out with the skate. Number one, it won't work. It'll break the tooth off and the roots will stay in. And number two, you don't ever want to have to do that. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Have good oral hygiene. And let me recommend on the, that dental area that you should have lots and lots of hydrogen peroxide. It is fantastic for gum health. Cuts down on the bacteria. If you have problems with swollen gums or bleeding when you're brushing your teeth, swishing and spitting, not swallowing, hydrogen peroxide is also awesome. Let me just add to that. This is what happens if you swallow hydrogen peroxide. We had a dog one time that ate roadkill, and he didn't eat roadkill that happened last night. He ate roadkill that happened like last week, and it was festered and had little crawly things in it and all that. So we call the vet. And the vet says, give him about three tablespoons of hydrogen peroxide and stand back. Oh. Uh, and that dog vomited so hard he blew himself over on his back. And it did, it did expel. The, so do not swallow the hydrogen peroxide. Uh, I don't know if it's a medically approved use or not, but it seemed to work every bit as rapid on that dog as Epicac did. Wow. wow. That is incredible. All right. Well, we now have something new. <laughs> I just learned something new, and, and, it's, and it even emphasizes it more. Don't swallow the hydrogen peroxide. Because you'll give back whatever you've taken in. And we, we, we learned that with a dog, if you need to give a dog a liquid, you just hold their mouth open and let or hold their, their head up and let them keep their teeth closed and have one person just pull out the cheek and then just drop the liquid in, and it goes straight down. And uh, then it comes straight up. Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> That's the use. I don't know. You guys can research that. I, I, I don't believe in doing what works on animals with people without yeah. All um, right. well, we'll check. We'll But check. Dr. Bones, your opinion is hydrogen peroxide a substitute for Epicac. Epicac. We'll have to research that. I have to research it. I know that well, you're, you're not supposed to swallow it, but <laughs> I haven't. Maybe I have to fly, though. <laughs> and I am not testing it. I don't care what you say. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you guys are hilarious. Also store baking soda. Out there. I'm sorry. Okay. Now, if for continued dental health, if you want to have shiny, beautiful, healthy gums and teeth, dip your toothbrush in hydrogen peroxide and then dip it in baking soda and brush your teeth with that every day, and you will have excellent dental health. So store, store, yep, baking soda. So, like, you guys are real big on the medical stuff, obviously, because you come from a medical background, and there's there's a few what I would consider larger names in the preparedness industry. I think you guys are among them. Uh, but another very well-known person is James Rawls, and he says ammo is the most important thing to stockpile. I don't agree with that. I, I really don't. I think it belongs as part of your prepping, but I, I don't agree with that at all. But you guys, if I ask you that question, you'd tell me it was medical supplies. Why is that? 
Well, uh, you know, Rawls, of course, is uh, the big uh, kahuna, and he's his ideas are in line with, uh, I think, old school survivalism. And I'm going to actually you know, some people are going to consider me a heretic here. Uh, ammo certainly is is not unimportant. You should have it. But, you know, you're going to be dealing with infectious disease and you're going to be dealing with injuries from chopping wood and other activities of just plain old daily survival living a lot more often than you're going to be having gunfights right. at the OCAL, OK Corral. Let me, let me hold you there a second because I want to help you make a point here. Did more people die in World War One from bullets or disease? Disease and the Civil War and just about, I mean, just about every war that you can think of. So we're going to be thrown back into that era from a medical standpoint. And so we have to realize that when little Susie's climbing a tree and she falls off and impales herself on a branch, you know, if you try to stuff her bleeding wound with bullets, it's not going to work <laughs> out, right? <laughs> I guess you could use the gunpowder to cauterize a wound, but that's probably not a good idea either. Canterbury did it on Dual Survival, yeah. but it didn't look it didn't look fun. I, I saw that, and, and uh, I uh, he's uh, an adventurous guy. What can I say? Well, I think, <laughs> and then you can't eat bullets, right? You, well, you can eat them once, but that's right. kind of the last time. Well, I would prefer that you guys store cayenne pepper for the bleeding. <laughs> right. Well, you know, in the end, uh, survivors are going to have bullets, and and some people have even have the equipment ability for reloading. But when the medical supplies go, even simple things like gauze, you know what? They are going to be like gold. Yep. If if Susie needs some fish antibiotics to live, what would a parent not trade to get some? You know, medical. I, I can't think of anything they wouldn't trade, and that and I think one of the big reasons that a lot of people get for storing ammo is because you can use it for barter. And uh, again, you can't eat bullets, and you can't you can't heal wounds with them. Right. Um, and they, you know, they keep you a lot. They they keep other people from taking things from you, but they they don't really do a lot for you otherwise. That's right. You know, medical supplies are going to be an incredibly valuable barter item if you're willing, or as some say, stupid enough to actually be willing to part with some some of yours. And and I don't even consider ammo. I, I, food, obviously, for me is second. I guess that this is just my, you know, inner physician coming out, but uh, I think ammo is uh, is a distant third. But but important. Um, yeah, I would, no, I'm going to put it third, too. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to say it's food or medicine is the top two, which one is there, because I think you can make a case for either one so strong they're almost equivalent. Okay. If I can't feed you, you're going to get sick and die, right? And, and I can give you all the antibiotics in the world, but if you're malnourished, you're, you're not going to do well at fighting disease. And then conversely, I can feed the hell out of you, but if you're sick and I can't treat it, or you're injured and I can't treat it, you're dead. But... With ammo, there's only, and I, I've always put it this way, you eat every day of your life, and most people have never been in a gunfight and never will be. Um, it doesn't mean we ignore it, but there's no way it can compare with two critical needs that you're going to use every single year. You're going you're gonna to need medical treatment of some kind, and you're going to need um, uh, to eat. And if you don't have those two things, you, you know... You, you end up dead pretty quick. I guess maybe I could push food to the top because I'm not a doctor or a nurse, and uh, I think you can definitely die without food, and you might die without medical treatment. Right. Well, I know I I don't disagree with you. I think if you if you don't have food, 
you are in big trouble. Right. Well, what, we're not saying not to get yeah. those things. Yeah. <laughs> just, I understand. Let's clear that up. We're not choosing the medical supplies. It's just, you know, sort of pay. I don't know. Just pay more attention to medical supplies than, than <laughs> no, you have I, been. No, I yeah. mean, I think no, I think that all. Over, you're you're absolutely right. It's food is number one, and and I was I was sort of going ammo versus. Uh, I got you. Medical okay, I see. And I, I think that we're, they're damn close, though. I mean, uh, and the, you guys are saying something that I really never thought of before about the skill set of being able to make herbal medicines, about how when you use these supplies, they're gone forever. And if, as long as we can melt some lead, find something to make an explosive out of, we can make a primer and a propellant, and we can reload ammo. But if when gauze is gone, gauze is gone. But one of, I guess you would call as a renewable medical supply would be having the knowledge to do herbal medications because we can grow those. And a lot of things like beeswax are renewable as well. So do you think that maybe that skill set would be something that's extremely valuable as whatever supplies are there get depleted even further? Oh, absolutely. And that's sort of the basis of our book, it was to introduce people who haven't even considered anything that grows outside of their home, anything that they didn't purchase in a store as an actual medicine or a treatment for some ailment. That just, it's not taught in schools. It has not been passed down from, you know, our great, great grandparents that it was just routine for them. So a lot of people just have no idea that they never even heard of the words essential oils. So in the book, <clears throat> we did something called integrative medicine where we talked about the traditional treatments that, you know, most people have, you know, heard or watched or studied. And we threw in bits and pieces of herbal remedies that you can use, some tinctures, maybe some tea, some herbs, um, essential oils. We have a whole chapter on essential oils. This is not meant to be, you know, the end of your entire um, herbal remedy education. It was meant to awaken people, to stimulate a curiosity about, you know, what's out there and what can I grow that could maybe replace some of these things if, if I really feel the store is going to be closed one day. I need to figure out what to do. And it, it does a lot for us. It does a lot for us with independence as well, because if we don't have a grid failure, we still know how to take care of ourselves better and be more self-reliant. And I think a big component of herbology is it's like people will find out about it. like my wife has some problems with migraines and she's had a lot of uh, great results using turmeric, which is completely safe. It's, you know, no side effects, but if you really want to be prepared for a grid down situation, you either better store that crap out of turmeric or find something that you can grow locally or harvest locally that has the same effect because there ain't a lot of turmeric plantations in Texas. Right. And that's the point. You need to figure out this is what I did along at and I did these paths at the same time. You know, some people just focus on learning one skill, but I did the container gardening um, you know, pH of the soil and amendments and, and everything that I needed to know about growing food. At the same time, I learned about how I can grow my herbs. And I started a large herbal garden. And, you know, I learn a little bit every day. I'm not an herbal expert. But every day I add a little bit more to my knowledge. 
And so that's what you have to do. You just have to figure out what will grow because everyone has a different grow zone. In fact, your soil might be different from your next door neighbor. And maybe they can grow something, lavender. Maybe they have a, you know, a, a garden of lavender and you go to plant it and your lavender plants just die or they don't germinate. So you need to figure out what can grow where you are right now and get it in the ground. First of all, they're beautiful. Most of them smell phenomenal. I mean, if you rub basil, it crush it in your hand and just put it up to your nose, it's awesome. <laughs> rosemary smells so good. And I'm telling you, I think rosemary would grow on the moon. <laughs> if you can't grow rosemary, just quit. <laughs> just just get somebody in your group that can grow stuff and find something else to do. I, I, I'm, I mean, it's like saying... I, I can't grow, you know, I can't grow weeds, and I don't even care what kind they are. I mean, rosemary is about as hardy as it gets. Oh my gosh! And it just gets so big, and it's so wonderful, and it smells so beautiful. So, you know, learn what will grow around you, or what's already growing around you. You know, that's what I was going to say. It makes a lot of sense to also know what's already there, right? Yeah, exactly. Nature's taking care of a lot of this for us, as long as you haven't you know, chop down your entire property, you know, or there's parks, there's areas. We did a, a wild edible um, tour with someone named Green Dean. And, oh, I love him. He's awesome. Oh, he's he's so great. He was on our show once. In fact, we need to ask him back. But we did a tour at a park that is maybe an hour and a half to two hours from us. And he showed us just a and this was not like a botanical garden, okay? This was just a park that had picnic tables, and he walked us around the perimeters of the fence, around the water, and just randomly, all of these wonderful things were there. And again, he's not so much herbal, he's more edible. Like, you're sure. out there, and you got to eat this food. Yeah, <laughs> he's looking is, for a feed. Yeah, this is... <laughs> This is going to kill you. This you can eat. You know, you can eat it raw or you can, you know, cook it. or And, you know, it tells you what's not, you know, what's not going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a lot of things that are real common that can have uh, very therapeutic benefits. When I was up in New Hampshire or Vermont at uh, Ben Falk's uh, class, I walked out of the studio and walked right past some flowers and a big old red wasp stung me on the cap. And, you know, it hurts. And, Jerk, you know, why'd you do that? And it'll, you know, wasp things swell up, they get red. Well, the first thing I did was grab a handful of plantain leaf, you know, smushed it up, rubbed it on the, 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 the sting, and since it was down where I had a sock, basically held it in place with a sock. Ten minutes later, it, it looked like I'd never even been stung. Um, and that's a, just a, you know, a immediate application of, of a weed as a therapeutic agent. Absolutely. We have to figure out what we can use when we have no choice and also what you can use today to help avoid some of these pharmaceuticals. I know that's a whole nother show, but it doesn't hurt to try something natural if it's mild first. You know, if I have a headache, I would prefer to, you know, put a couple of drops of, of peppermint oil on my temples and drink a cup of, of chamomile tea. You know, do some other things. You know, of course, you know, put a ice pack on my forehead and go into a dark room, too. But, again, these are all natural things before I grab the ibuprofen. So it's okay to try these things as long as you're not harming yourself. And if I have to use the ibuprofen, I will. 
but I prefer to to try to do things naturally. And, and I like the idea of the turmeric because, you know, there have been times when I've had headaches several days, so I'm going to give that one a try. Thank you, Dorothy. And, and there's there's a lot of things, like I said, that we can grow in our lawns, like planting, that people are trying to eradicate that have uh, uh, an ability to uh, to reduce inflammation, among other things. Uh, chicory is something I'm working very hard to get growing on my property, and that's been used. Like they did tests with rats where they like purposely damaged their liver with sodium nitrate, and then they gave another test group the sodium nitrate plus the chicory root, and it reduced the damage to the liver. And this is another weed that somebody's like, get this out of my lawn. And you're like, I stop trying to grow Bermuda grass. It does nothing for you. It's the only thing in your lawn that doesn't do anything for you, except maybe feed cows or rabbits or something. Yeah. I'd rather have a yard full of these edible herbal weeds than the stupid grass we're growing. I would like to have, you know, the garlic chives. And, you know, we have some passion flowers, and down here the the passion flower plants grow like weeds. They're trying to take over the entire house. But um, I would let them take over if I didn't have to answer to um, our neighbors. <laughs> sure, sure. But, you know, I would plant all of this stuff. I would let my herbal garden just go crazy. Now, we have we have actually done that, a sort of gorilla gardening. <laughs> gorilla gardening in our, in our own garden because we plant carrots, but there's no one around here that actually knows what carrot greens look yeah, like. So they close. they can be in our front yard right by the the sidewalk and nobody will know or have any idea that those are actually carrots growing in the ground because nobody knows, knows what a carrot is. No. Nobody knows about these things. They've never <laughs> seen a carrot outside of the grocery store. I know. It's so sad. It's so sad. I know. I'm Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, kind of bringing it back into the main topic here, do you guys think maybe there's some health issues that people haven't just even thought about, even if they already have medical supplies? Well, we thought we mentioned dental before. That, I think, is going to be very important. You know, in Vietnam, medical personnel reported that they actually dealt with more dental issues at sick call uh, daily sick call than they did medical issues. So I think the dental issues will be an issue. Now, not after a hurricane, whether you're going to be off the grid maybe for a week and then everything else is fine, but I'm talking about a long-term situation. So you do, for your hurricane supplies, do you need a dental extractor? No, you probably don't. However, in a long-term situation, you know, six months or more, you want to know something that it's very possible that a dental extractor may be one of the most important things that you actually, more important medical supplies that you could actually have because 90% of dental emergencies can be handled by extraction. I mean, this philosophy that we have now, which is awesome, of saving every tooth, if at all possible, is actually pretty new. When I, when I say pretty new, I'm not talking about Roman times. I'm talking about about 50 years ago. Yeah. I have, you know, and I have a relative who's about 70 that had almost every more, you know, half of his teeth taken out just as a, well, you know, we should probably remove, uh, remove this one just in case, that kind of thing. So that, mm-hmm. so that was entirely new philosophy to actually try to keep, keep your teeth. So I, I know my grandparents pretty much have gotten to the point where it was easier just to have full denture. So take the last couple out. 
Exactly, exactly. And so you'll find a lot of, if you have relatives that are 80 years old or, or well into their 70s, you probably have had, uh, they, they probably don't have a lot of teeth in their head. Tell them about zinc oxide and clove. Tell them about zinc oxide and clove. Maybe. So, well, well, um, <laughs> a good, a, an excellent uh, natural uh, dental remedy that you can use is clove oil. Clove oil, a couple of drops of that with some zinc oxide paste. You can get a pound of zinc oxide for about, well, I don't know, 10 bucks, 12 bucks. You can get uh, four ounces of clove oil probably for about eight bucks or a little, maybe a little bit less for about eight bucks. Uh, take two drops of it, mix it up with zinc oxide paste. Within a few minutes, it becomes a temporary filling cement. And so you can uh, cement down a loose crown. You can, if there's somebody loses a filling, you can, you can use that as, uh, as temporary cement. And you, if you have, that amount for about tw- uh, the four ounces of clove oil and a pound of zinc oxide, you will probably be able to do that for an entire community of probably 10,000 people because there are thousands of uses. Uh, you'll get thousands of uses out of it. Now, and clove, oil, clove oil used orally has a temporary uh, numbing effect as well, doesn't it? Right. It's a dental anesthetic. So it's got some excellent dental, uh, dental uses. Like and, an aura gel. That's right. And we... And and we have in our bigger kits, uh, we have some dental supplies, and and that we always include uh, with with those kits. Now, go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It wasn't right. me. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, another thing that I think is going to be something we're going to completely forget about, or or we haven't thought about, is pregnancy and birth control. You know that pregnancy today is it's an occasion for celebration, but in the old days. You know what? It was just as much a cause for concern as for draw, uh, joy. You know, 150 years ago, remembering this is where we're going to be thrown back to if something really bad happens and, and a, some type of collapse situation occurs. The chance of a woman dying in childbirth was maybe 2 to 4% per birth. And so you accumulate that because uh, each woman usually had a lot of pregnancies. I mean, there was about a 20% or 25% uh, risk of dying in childbirth or or from a pregnancy related occurrence. I mean, there are you a lot of ways- mentioned the death of the infant as well was very possible. Abs- absolutely. And you, um, if you go to the old graveyards in uh, North Carolina, Western North Carolina, where you where you just were, or Eastern Tennessee, you'll see all sort in every church churchyard. There's little uh, gravestones with lambs on them, and those are all the kids that. Uh, uh, died as a stillbirth or, or some very, very soon after birth. Uh, so, so this, it's a reality and it could be a reality again. I mean, there's a lot of ways for women to, to get in trouble during a pregnancy and certainly during childbirth. There's miscarriage, there's infection and bleeding. There's, of course, uh, either, either from the miscarriage or from the childbirth itself. People get diabetes during pregnancy, high blood pressure, you know, not, and, not to mention that pregnancy in and of itself could drop the work efficiency of one of your group members, even even if the pregnancy is absolutely healthy. And thank goodness the, the grand majority of them are healthy and they probably will remain healthy. Uh, uh, you have to realize that losing the work, uh, good efficiency of the functioning of one of your members could be hazardous to the health of the entire family or, or group in in that kind of situation. So it's important to think of, number one, I guess, birth control, what you're going to 
do for that to to prevent from getting pregnant if you have women of childbearing age and you may you might not want to you know considering repopulating the planet you know immediately you may want things to stabilize a little bit and, and start growing food things like that before before you actually start reproducing but also you want to get some basic knowledge of how to let's say deliver a baby you want to uh have a good idea of how to recognize complications of pregnancy when they occur and so so these are dental i think and and pregnancy birth control uh, are two main things that people who are even very well medically prepared otherwise really haven't thought much about i completely agree with that and i would say that another one you alluded to earlier is dealing with sanitation human waste um and with cleanliness of water and seeing that as a medical issue because in the research I've done of collapses due to natural disasters and things like that in third world nations where for them it is a, it is a global collapse for a year or more like Haiti. The number one thing that kills children and adults but mostly children in those areas is dehydration exasperated by diarrhea. And that's from unclean water and not having the ability to treat that condition. And I think that one is something because no one wants to talk about diarrhea around the kitchen table. It, so it's just not like a subject people want to really discuss, so it gets forgotten. But I think it's a huge, huge killer. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. There's going to be so many issues with regards to the proper uh, preparation of food, contaminated food, uh, contaminated water. Uh, even the even the cleanest mountain spring uh, in in the areas that uh, you and I were just at uh, in, uh, that we were just at in Western North Carolina uh, are infected with uh, organisms like Giardia and other other things that uh, can can cause diarrheal disease. Uh, so that's why they don't recommend even tr- uh, hiking in those woods uh, or camping out for any period of time in those woods without sterilization. Yeah, there's two substances that people don't realize that their real origins are about clean, clean water. One's beer, because once they made beer, they were like, oh, now it's safe to drink. Well, it was the boiling that caused it. And in the East, the, the, the thing that really made tea what it became was that you had to boil everything. And then, you know, you had hot, boiled water. And what made it palatable was making tea. Yeah. And, and, and those are two direct examples of people not really understanding why, but un, but getting that if we if we boil this thing first, then then it's safe to drink. And I think that's why they also uh, made grog, isn't it? They had uh, the watered down rum that they used to uh, use that they used to use on uh, sailing vessels. In yep. Days. I think that was another reason, another example of that. Yeah, with the alcohol content killing off pathogens. So um, I think that there's, you know, there's that's just something that I've I've personally noticed that when I talk to people, they they overlook. The other thing I've seen people overlook, and I know you guys are huge on making sure this is part of your medical kit, if you want to call it that, is skill development. Like I have this guy that found my show, and I went to high school with him, and he was emailing me all the stuff he was doing after he kind of got into this whole prepper thing. And he he said he sent me an email of a thing with this Stomp medical kit that he bought from Cheaper Than Dirt. It's like a five hundred dollar med kit, you know. It's like a full surgical field surgical kit and all this other stuff. And I'm like, do you have any idea what to do with that stuff? Because I remember you failing high school biology. <laughs> and, and, and the answer was basically, well, not really, but I'll figure it out if I need to. And I think that leaving the skills 
out of the kit. Like the, the, if you have the gun and the ammo but not the training, it's not very useful. If you have the food but you don't know how to prepare it and cook it, it's not very useful. If you have the medical supplies but not the knowledge of how to use them, you're also leaving a huge gaping hole. Right. You know, I, I am often asked, what do I think is going to be the most common cause of death in a, you know what hits the fan scenario and and is it stupidity? I, 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 yeah, I have I have been thinking about it and it, there are a lot of possibilities and we we talked about infectious disease, we talked about uh, malnutrition, traumatic injury, you know, especially if you live in areas of civil unrest, exposure to heat or cold. But you want to know something? The most common cause among the population of of this country is going to be even more deadly, and that is. Uh, you can call it stupidity, but I'll call it, let's call it uh, charitably complacency. Ah, okay. The, okay. the failure of people to wake up and see the storm clouds on the horizon, to put together food and medical supplies, to, to put together even ma- a, just as important a community of people with preparedness as their goal so, so that they can be ready for the common defense, so that they can uh, help each other and, and use their different skills that each one of them have to improve the chances of survival. You know, at complacency, that's what I'm going to be writing on the death certificates of most people as a primary cause of demise. <laughs> well, you're very nice, because I'm going to say what Jack said. <laughs> well, and I didn't even mean it with just from the complacency angle. I meant it with, like, okay, the grid is down, um, and things don't seem to be coming back anytime soon. Maybe running through the field in bare feet is not a good idea. Things like that, you know, I mean, it makes me think of like every time I go to uh, like somebody's apartments or gated community where there's a fence that's electric and it, it opens and closes by itself. There's always a sign that says, do not play on or around the fence. And what that means is somebody somewhere played on or around the fence and got hurt. We shouldn't even need that sign. And that level of stupidity that, like, people get away with being dumbasses on a daily basis now. If you change the situation where you can't just run to the doctor for a tetanus shot every time you get stuck with something sharp and rusty, you can't just run to the doctor for antibiotics every time you get an infection, you can't just do that, then stupidity has a much more severe set of consequences to go along with it. You're absolutely right. Our our society has helped a lot of people who normally uh, would not have made it without the support of, of those of us that continuously give the warnings. Stop, yield, look both ways. <laughs> Do not put this plastic bag over your head. <laughs> don't iron your clothes while wearing them. You don't, don't take a shower with your radio, things like that. Don't. This coffee is very hot. Do not spill it in your lap. Yeah, don't. Don't try to make toast. Uh, don't try to make toast on the edge of your bathtub. You, you know, know, I mean, yeah. it's, you know. So yes, you're right. But well, you know, they say that the founders are spinning in their graves. People say that all the time. You know who's spinning in his grave? Charles frickin' Darwin, man. Darwin <laughs> is just like if we dug up the founders and Darwin and put coils around them and stuck them back underground, we could power the whole electrical grid just with those folks spinning in their grave. Freak it out, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you are absolutely right. You know, uh, people who are otherwise prepared, maybe armed to the gills and things like that, are going to do s- some stupid things, and some of them are not going to survive as a result. And and the P- and you also mentioned... Ooh, good point. Think, 
people may have medical people may have you know medical supplies but not know how to use them they think they're medically prepared because they have some bandages on the top shelf or their closet somewhere or an awesome five hundred dollar medical bag on the top ours is better by the way uh, top (laughs) well they're all excellent bags mine's better okay i'm I'm sure they're all wonderful bags but but anyhow, the bottom line: if you don't learn to use those supplies, you know you're you're no likely, to, no less likely to be toast than anybody else. So crack open a medical book, fiddle around with what's in your kit. I mean, open up the kit for goodness' sake, familiarize yourself with what's in it, shift things around so it makes sense to you. If you've got and and think about your medical bag, look at it. I mean, can you tell? Where to find the stuff that you would need to stop a hemorrhaging room right, a wound right away? I mean, is it right there? No, I think it's more important than your aspirin, right? The aspirin can go on the bottom of the bag. You have time to dig for an aspirin. Exactly. But you don't have time to dig for quick clot. If you need, not you want it, but you need quick clot, you need it now. Right. You, right. you don't need it tomorrow. You don't need it in five minutes. You need it now. Right. right. Organize your, your kit so you can easily get to what you need for the issue that you're dealing with. And even, you know, we put together our kits and we put things in what makes in order, in order to make sense to us. But it might not make sense to you. So fiddle around with it. Move things around, for goodness sake. Don't move my bag around that I pack to people. <laughs> well, I, leave Amy's bag alone, though. I, I have given it. Months and months and years and years of thought of exactly where to put these items. You can add to the bag, but I guarantee you oh that I'm boy, putting. I'm putting. <laughs> I hand pack these bags in my house. Okay, I personally put yes, everything well. in waterproof bags, and I have thought about exactly where to put each item so it's readily available and the most needed things are up front. Ha! Huh. And make sure, regardless, Don't my stuff. Regardless, <laughs> make sure. It's the right stuff that you can reach when you need it, the stuff that you're looking for. Now, one of the things we talk about all the time on the Survival Podcast is that the things that we're doing today to prepare for a disaster or an emergency tomorrow should benefit our lives, even if the major catastrophe never comes. And you guys are heavily focused on an eventual breakdown of society. And I think you and I both agree there's certain things that could be the catalyst to that, and it's a real danger, or we wouldn't put so much effort into it, like a massive pandemic or a complete economic failure or a, a complete grid, grid failure to something like a CME. But on the other hand, you guys are also very, very practical so would you guys give me some thoughts on how your approach works well, even if we don't end up, you know, for 12 months without a doctor available? Well, it, most of the time, if people end up without the access to a doctor for, let's say, 12 months at a time, it's usually because of something much more mundane than a disaster. It's usually because their health insurance ran out or it's because they've lost their job. Great and, point. And so... It's to have these medical supplies on hand to deal with simple things that will avoid a costly trip to the emergency room if you're able to de- if you're able to deal with that issue. I'm not saying to become a doctor, but if, if you if you can deal with the issue on your own with the medical supplies that you have, well, if you have a good amount of medical supplies, you will be better able to deal with it. I think that's an awesome point, but it just made me think of something. And I, so I've got a great question for you here. I was recently watching reruns of According to Jim, that old sitcom. 
and he used fish antibiotics on his wife, and she got better. He took them when he got sick, and it wasn't because they were fish antibiotics. It was because um, he was allergic to that antibiotic and didn't know it. And what that makes me think, coupled with what you were just saying, is if I'm in a situation where I'm acting as a survival medic, and I've got a person where I've determined this person should have antibiotics, and the antibiotics that I have available are antibiotics that this person can tell me I've never had that before, is there a way I can test that person safely for allergy before I give them a full dose? Because I could end up killing them from an allergic reaction if I don't know whether they're going to have one or not. Well, what you would do, the most, I would say that the most likely allergy that you will experience is going to be an allergy to medicines in the penicillin family. Or so, sulfa. Or, or sulfa family. And so, uh, I think if you have a good variety of, of, of antibiotics that you can deal with it that way. Now, topical antibiotics, you can easily tell if someone's going to be allergic to it by simply having them put a little bit of it on the inside of their forearm and see what happens over the course of 28 to 40, 24 to 48 hours. If it becomes red and, and irritated, then you know they have an allergy. If you, if you are really concerned or you only have the one antibiotic and you have to, and you have to give it and you are very concerned, you could give them a, one pill and see what happens. It's very rare for, uh, a, a fatal event to occur just as a result of taking one dose of an antibiotic. They may have a response, but very few of them will have, let's say, an anaphylactic reaction. That That is a very rare uh, occurrence, and it. I think that the pharmaceutical industry indicates that uh, these things can happen simply because they are concerned for medical re- legal reasons. Amy can tell you something. So what you're looking for with that first dose, let's say you, you, you're right, Jack, you've got one antibiotic, you, that person cannot tell you that they've ever taken that specific antibiotic, is you look for mild allergic reactions. You look for things like hives. You look for things like itching, um, possibly a mildly swollen tongue. Um, what are some things? I think those are the most common Okay. The rash, the itching, Red and eyes. possibly, you know, even a tickle in their throat. Something, something feels weird in their mouth or throat. If they had those things, I would probably not continue the antibiotics unless you made the absolute determination that they're going to die if they don't get the antibiotic. Sure, sure. It, you know, and then you, you know, you just have to watch them very closely. Jack, I want to ask you a question. In uh, does Dorothy ever like? gesticulate wildly at you while you're trying to make a point no, on I'm on sure a show. Doesn't. No, no, she's oh. really great. I mean, is this why That's you're such a crotchety she... old man now because of this? Yeah, no, but <laughs> The re- I, I'm. That's because of serious spousal abuse. That's it for is sure. not. But, oh, how dare okay, you say that? But I'm what, gonna beat the crap out of you. <laughs> <when we're done. laughs> but you know what? I was trying to answer that last question, and she stands up and starts scratching herself wildly, and I'm looking over there and saying, what's going on over there? I'm trying to tell you to mention some of the symptoms of the mild allergic reaction. But we'll let you have your time at the mic, Amy. You can let him him fail and then point out his inadequacy by doing it right. He is is a, a, a... Jack, he's a mic hog. I am not. Measure the minutes, and when you're finished with the show, tell us. Podcast Nurse Amy without Dr. Bones.
That's right. That's Amen. Hallelujah, brother. You are my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, anyway, guys, you guys are awesome. I love having you on. I was I had the mic muted at one point. I said these guys are such an easy interview. I don't have to work hard to try to get up to say stuff. They're never at a loss for words. But you've taken all of the, these ideas and all these words and all these thoughts and you've put them into what I think is one of the best uh, manuals for survival medicine that I've ever seen. You want to tell folks about that book? Oh, yeah. We uh, wrote, uh, Amy and I wrote the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Handbook, and essentially it's a way to deal, basically tells you how to deal, tells the non-medical person how to deal with medical issues in situations where help is not on the way. And we talk about all the likely things that you might encounter in a long-term survival situation and how to deal with them, not only using conventional methods, using limited supplies, but also we discuss all sorts of alternative remedies. Every section, if there is an alternative remedy that may could deal with the particular issue that we're talking about, we mention it. And so this is what we're doing to uh, hopefully educate people and give people a better chance to uh, survive times of trouble. Oh, and awesome. you can, you can find ahead. it on Amazon. I'm sorry. You can find it on Amazon or uh, .com or createspace.com or on our shop at doomandbloom.net. And uh, I've hit you guys up for a discount for folks uh, on the book. Uh, for, we're going to do, do it for everybody for a week. So you got a week to buy it if you want the discount, if you're not a member of the Support Brigade. And then you guys are going to make the discount permanent for the members of the Member Support Brigade long-term. So uh, we'll get a discount code from you guys, and we'll put it in the show notes today, and it'll be good for a week after today. Uh, and that's going to be, what, 10%? Yeah, let's just be very clear. This is not 10% off the book. This is 10% off the entire store. Oh, my God, I did not know that. Oh, yes, honey. The oh, wow. kits, the staple kits, extra sutures, um, my big trauma bags. I mean, this could be hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of savings and you're over the course of time. And you're going to do the time. MSB ongoing, man. Yes. Okay, guys, uh, I'm going to promote my MSB right now and tell you that you you need this. You need it because you need the stuff these guys are selling. Um, thank you. I did not. I, I thought well, you guys were just doing the book. No, and I hand pack. Just like I said before, I handpack each and every one of those items in my house, and I make sure that things are in waterproof bags and they're organized in a way that makes sense for you. And I guarantee you, you will not find any bags that match what I have put into these. They can look the same, but when you start looking at what's in them, you, you can't compare. And then, then Doc Bones is not allowed to move the things once you've packed them, right? <laughs> no, matter of fact. Oh, some... no, you're going to tell on me. Right, go ahead. Here we what go. did she do? Oh, boy. All right. I when can't. We're, when we're packing bags. Oh, see, she's not going to let me tell you. She's let you do it. This is great. Go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. When, when we're packing bags, if I don't put things in the right plastic bag or if I put things in in, you know, if I put pairs of gloves with the fingers facing down instead of the fingers facing up, man, I get it in spades. She really hits it. She yes, gives it to But you fight me every time. He won't just, he will not just follow directions. He has, he, I say, honey, put all four of the triangular bandages exactly in this spot, and he'll do it in the one below it. I swear, just to fight me. They're the same. 
Pack, pack. It doesn't matter. I they want him in that same. one. Hey, I'm going to stick up for Amy here. In, in, in the, 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 the Army, we were taught that one of the most important things in all procedures was uniformity so that you train to the uniform arrangement of your supplies, your squad, your SOP, everything, so that you could take a soldier out of Unit A, drop him into Unit B, and he could function just as effectively the day he was dropped in because everything was done the same. So I'm all about uniformity. I didn't say I'm doing it. I'm terrible <laughs> at the organization, but... If you have a pain in the ass organizational person like Amy Bones, let her do it. <laughs> oh, you are a wise. I no, no. See, now that's the thing, Jack. Man. He'll say, "Oh, well, you yelled at me about this one thing, so now, <laughs> now you get to do all of this by yourself. So I'm stuck packing all of that." Sounds messes. very familiar. That's wise, Bones. That's also wise because then you don't have to do it. It was like me screwing up painting in the army so that the colonel said I couldn't paint anymore. It was great. I never painted again. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, now I'm wise uh, in his ways. He, oh, you, you're messing Jack, up. You He's messing me up on purpose so he can uh, uh, walk away. It doesn't matter if you keep messing up on purpose. It's still worse because they get tired of it and they let you let, let you off. Anyway, guys, um, I think this has been a great interview. We need to have you guys on the show more. Um, you guys are welcome anytime. Every once in a while, I know you think, Dorothy, can we get on the show? And the answer is always yes. And when do you want to come on? So make sure you guys uh, come back, because every time we have you on, we, we cover different aspects of the same subject. I just think that's awesome, and I uh, uh, appreciate both of you, and, and interviewing you is like interviewing friends, because that's what I'm doing, uh, and it, it's nice to be able to do that. So thanks for being on the show today. Well, we, we appreciate uh, your having us on the show, and I just want to just tell your listeners that we appreciate all the kind words and support that we've received from them when we meet them at uh, all the various uh, expos and other events that we go to that uh, your people are awesome. And you are too. Well, thank you. And Amy, we appreciate you too if you'll let you have the mic again. <laughs> I know, right? All right I'm well. Oh, he's leaving. Don't leave. He did. He took his coffee cup. He's white. Honey, there's no more coffee. Oh. <laughs> we drank it all. It's all gone. Well, anyway, Dorothy, I know you're listening. I love you, darling. I wish I was seeing you in, in Mesa, Arizona. Um, I guess we'll see you next year, sadly. Definitely. All right. but We'll have but, to figure out some other time we can get together, too, other than just expos, because we both end up very busy at those. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe it? it was, thank goodness we were able to have lunch. That was an awesome lunch at Cracker Barrel, by the way. I'm, I'm still thinking about that as I'm dieting and starving myself since we got home. <laughs> I'm living through that Cracker Barrel moment every day. <laughs> and we've now gone off the deep end. But anyway, guys, I really do appreciate it. And thanks again for the discount. Uh, I guess I skimmed the email. I didn't realize it was everything on your, your shop. And, folks, that's going to be a big deal. And, and, again, thank you both for being just awesome people and contributing so much to the Prepper community as a whole. You're very welcome. It's our honor. And same to you. And folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. In our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way.
Yeah.